If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hosea, Hosea chapter 3. Um, or you can just follow along as I read Hosea chapter 3. Or if you have your iPhone, your Samsung, your Galaxy, Galaxy, whatever you got. Whatever has a Bible app, open it up. And let's read together Hosea chapter 3. The title of this morning's message is um, Humility Unto Deliverance, Not Despair. Humility unto deliverance, not despair. It's a little long, but we're covering five verses, which is pretty long for us. <laughs> so Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who's loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, so I bought her for myself for 15 shackles of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or priest, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without Epod, ephod, or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we... Come humbly before you, Lord, and ask for your help to understand your word and to, to gain wisdom that we can have knowledge and apply it to our lives and live it out with power and with strength, with conviction, with joy, God, knowing that your hand is moving on us. So, Father God, open up the Word to us and cause us to burn within over this Word that will change our life, that we lay it down for Christ and for His name and for Your glory's sake, God. I pray You would light up the, the, the match, or the, the flame that You've put in us, ignite it, cause it to just burn, God. Have us burn with passion for you and zeal to bring honor and glory to your name, God. Protect me, Lord, as I preach your word. Keep me from error. And Lord, I pray you would keep your people from a critical spirit. That you would soften the, the soil of their hearts, God, and let your word fall deep. That it might produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, God, fruit for you, God, and for their joy. So, Lord, come, come mightily, Lord, and keep the devil far away and keep his whispering and his mouth shut. 
Holy Spirit, come guide us, lead us, direct us into all truth that we might behold wonderful things about God our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you feel the severity of the Lord in your life today? Do you feel that? Do you feel as if the hand of the Lord is is against you or on you, just weighing you down like a heavy burden? Maybe just feelings of being abandoned. Do you have that? You have feelings of abandoned or unloved? Like you just, you ever feel like you're just up a creek without a paddle? (laughs) People say it, but do you ever feel that way? I know I do. Do you have feelings, today do you have feelings of hopelessness? Do you find yourself under calamities and misfortunes? Do you find yourself in despair of ever being delivered or restored? Do you find yourself with those feelings left alone without hope or even feeling without God. And you're just crying out, God, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Can you see us? Do you have those feelings ever? Am I the only one? Help me out with amen or something. No, you have those feelings God never leaves me. I know you know that. (laughs) I know you believe that, but do you still feel what's contrary to what you know or what you read in the Scriptures? Do you feel that? Can I assure you? Let me assure you something. It's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. It's only for... If you are His... It is only for a moment. But the feeling is real. It's real. The feeling is real. It's there. And it, 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 it changes the way your face looks. <laughs> I mean, the expressions of your face contort to what you're feeling so I can see sometimes that you are in despair, you are feeling lonely, you are feeling abandoned. You can see that in your expressions. So, but if you're His, I want you to know it's only for a moment. It's real, the feeling is real, but it's not to end in despair. It is to end with hope and peace being delivered from there. Can you say amen? That's where it's to lead to. So the title is Humility Unto Deliverance, Not Despair. So the roadmap is that's the title. I'm going to, I ask you those questions to see if, for us to relate because the picture is going to be Israel here. We're going to look at Israel and what God's doing right here to them as a nation, to as a people and how it can affect us and say at the end it's like, how does that help you? How does that apply to you? That'll be the, the help here, I think. But Hebrews describes um, this moment as discipline. Go with me to Hebrews 12, 11. Go with me to Hebrews 12, 11. Let's read it together. Hebrews 12, 
Hebrews describes it as, a, as discipline or training of the Lord for the good of our eternal souls. That's, that's what I believe this. A moment is described as discipline or training of the Lord for the good of our eternal souls. Hebrews 12.11 says, All discipline for the moment. You see that? For the moment. Latch on to that. <laughs> Just grab hold of it. You get nothing else today. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain or suffering you're, you're facing, just look at that. It's for a moment. The thing is, I don't know how long this moment will last. Some moments last longer than others and some are shorter than others. You've had many moments, I'm sure, of training or discipline. So, this, these moments, this discipline, it's, you see it's right away, you see it's temporary. It, it only lasts for a moment, but it seems not to be, help me out, not to be joyful. <laughs> joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore Thee. Thank You for our trials. It's not how the song goes. <laughs> we don't sing joyful, joyful. Thank You for our discipline. At the moment, it seems not to be joyful. It actually is sorrowful. So there you have the feeling, the emotion, it's real. There's sorrow to be felt. There's humiliation to be felt. You're going to be humbled. Yet, look at this promise, yet to those, to you who have been trained by it, there's that trained by this discipline, it's a full training as if you are Michael Phelps, or Simone Biles, when in gold like no other. After you've been trained by it, it, this discipline, the, this moment, the moment yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Did you hear that? A righteous, you got to understand what peaceful, peaceful fruit of righteousness, it's a righteous standing with God. You are righteous standing before Almighty God who has wrath for your sin, but in my place He died for my sins, right? So you have a righteous standing with God. That is our ultimate peace with God. Not fearing anything from Him, we smile at the great judgment of God because He's for us and not against us. He's coming to deliver us and rescue us, not to pour His wrath on on us. So we have this righteous standing with God that is our ultimate peace. And so with this, with Hebrews, we see our need for this training, this discipline. We need this for our eternal outcome to be wholly righteous to God. Go back to Hebrews. Go back up to Hebrews and start back up at verse 5. Go back to Hebrews uh, 12. Start back at verse 5 where, where it says, My son. This is when you're his, when you're God's. And I'm saying if you're his, it's, it's, it's a moment. It's only going to last a moment. He says to you, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So right away, that moment you're going through, that's from God's love. 
He only does that to those whom he loves, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you would be illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they are earthly fathers. You know, they pulled out the belt and whipped us. They got it right sometimes. They got it wrong a lot, right? They discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God, He disciplines us for our good. So that what? We may share in what? Share in this peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you see it connecting? So we must be trained by this. We must have these moments, this this time of disciplining, training, because God is preparing us for eternal glory, causing us to be righteous to Him. And this is what He does to all His sons whom He loves. And you can finish it. All discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me just say this. Faith is not faith unless it's what? Tested. You know that verse, right? Faith is not faith, or let's, according to Hebrews, faith is not faith unless it's been trained. Faith is not faith until it comes out of training, out of discipline. You see it, the Lord tests us, He trains us, He causes us to be trained, ready, made righteous, so that we might share in His holiness. Well, according to Hosea, all that is to bring us back to Hosea. According to Hosea, Israel was going to be in one of these moments <laughs> for a long time, for quite some time. If you go back to Hosea 3, you see they're going to be in this, one of these moments as a nation and obviously as individuals. Individuals make up the nation. They're going to go through this moment, but God's purpose is not the now. It's not the today. Okay, God's purpose in the nation of Israel is not today. God's purpose is the eternal. So God, God does not desire that, that all of Israel altogether faint. That altogether they become overwhelmed and go into despair and completely fall away from God forever as reprobates. That's not God's desire. You heard what God told them. We went over it last week of, uh, in Hosea 2 that God said, I will allure you. God told me He would allure them and speak kindly upon their hearts, that He would give them a door of hope for their door of trouble. And that they would be gathered and planted not, no longer scattered, that they would receive mercy and compassion and be His people. He promised them all that. He said, this is what I'm going to do. But He still must discipline. He still must train or punish sin. They still have to have this training, this punishment. God must punish sin. He, he has to heat the kiln and melt the dross and make His people righteous. 
He has to do that. I mean, so, I mean, you get that. So, but we have to see Israel as this adulterous wife, this bride of God that has forsaken him. She's played the harlot and she sold herself into slavery. Let's read it. Hosea 3, 1 through 4. Let's read it again, looking at that, pulling all this together. It says, the Lord said to Hosea, hey, Hosea, listen to me. Go again. Go love a woman, your wife, Gomer, who's loved by you. You loved her, but she is an adulteress. Even as, God say, Hosea, do this because this is like me, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. They have idols and they have self-indulgence. That's what raisin cakes is showing. It says this, idols, idolatry, and they are all up in self-indulgences. He says, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot anymore, nor shall you have a husband. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod. I wish I would ask my, my brother, Pastor Ed, how do you say this word? Epod or ephod. Ephod, let's go with that. Or household idols. We really have to see this picture that God's giving us with Gomer. She's on the slave market and Hosea is buying her back. I hope you heard that. Um, Hosea is going to find his wayward wife. And look where he finds her. For sale. He finds that she sold herself into slavery. She actually paid her lovers. Remember, she paid her lovers to be brought into slavery to them. So she actually paid her way into slavery. And now he's to go and love her again. Go love her again. He's got to go through it all again. Go to the Bethel Bible site and listen to the first message and remember what Hosea went through. Can you imagine the emotional wreck? He's going to gonna hit him right now. I got to do all that again? I can't do it. That's humanly impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But the point, the the truth is, God tells him to go do this, and Hosea does it. So you see, it can be done. This love, this love for a wife, can be done by a man, by the with the strength of God, that just shows you what our God is like. Our God can love a wayward bride. If Hosea can do it, and God loves 10 million times more than Hosea ever could dream of, and that's how God loves you. Let's go back to the story. So he's got to go through it all again. He must overcome the rejection, the betrayal, the shame, the lies. I I can't even imagine it. Can you imagine it? In front of all the bystanders, we must, she, he must buy her. He must purchase his own wife back as if she were a slave. And she doesn't even want him to buy him. She sold herself into slavery. She ran off with her lovers. She's got shame and guilt galore. Right? I mean, you imagine her? 
Don't even look at me, husband. And Hosea just poured out his love and, and treated her right, nurtured her and cared for her every moment of every single day. He did her no wrong. She's, don't look at me. And Hosea's like this. I'll buy her in front of everybody. He has to do that in front of everybody. I mean, everybody's there. And she's being auctioned as a slave, possibly in, in front of all these bystanders. He pays for her. He must purchase his own wife back. We've got to see this. You've got to see that. You've got to see him buying her and really believe that he's doing this. It's so, there's something so significant here for us to see. As Hosea is buying Gomer, when you buy something, who does it belong to? You. Hosea is buying Gomer. Hosea belongs, I mean, Gomer belongs to Hosea. I say that's significant. You got to see a slave bought with money is at the buyer's disposal to do as he pleases with her. He has dominion, total dominion over her. The significance is such it is with all those who have been bought by the Lord. He has total dominion over us. We are at His disposal. He purchased us. He bought us. He's the buyer. And He owns us. Has dominion over us. We're at His disposal. Before we go further than that, look, look at how much Hosea uh, paid for Gomer. Look how much he bought her for. Help me out. Does anyone following? How, how much did he pay for, for Gomer? What did he buy her for? 15 shekels. Anybody got 15 shekels on them? I need 15 shekels. We'll pass around the offering plate and get 15 shekels from you. 15 shekels and what else? Yeah, half. Right? Half of what? Help me out. A homer and a half of barley. That ain't much. In fact, in those days, that was only half the price paid for a slave. He paid half. He set the price. Hosea, this is what I'll buy her for. He owns her. She's at his disposal. And he has dominion, total dominion over her. He can do as he pleases with her. There's nothing that it, in the text that says that's really bad. Because we're always like, he bought her back. Yeah, that's good. And it is good. There was so much more being shown here. The, the you see, it's half the price. I want to show you something else too. You know, barley's brown bread. Brown bread. I'll, we're okay with brown bread. I like brown bread. But back then, it wasn't like our brown bread. You know, where they took white bread and put color back into it. <laughs> This is real brown bread. And it was only fed to the beast. It was considered a mean food. 
You want to be mean to somebody? Hey, come on over and have dinner. Serve them brown bread and let the dogs eat with them. It was for the beast. That's what the brown bread was. For this is like, what is going on? He paid for her just 15 shekels, a homer, half a barley. He, g- he gave brown bread for her. And that's the price he set. And he bought her back. Who sets the price? I guess the whole point is who sets the price? God does. Well, the buyer. The buyer sets the price. Look at Acts 20, verse 28. I want to show you that God sets the price. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased or which he acquired. The word acquired with what? With his own blood. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 and 14. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Verse 14, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I'm just saying that God sets the price. It's blood of His Son. The spotless lamb. He had, God says, I'm the buyer. I set the price. I'm going to purchase or acquire a people for my own possession. I will own them. I will have complete, total dominion over them. They will be at my disposal. And the cost to purchase them off the slave market of Satan is my son's blood. God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son to die, to bleed, that we might live, all who believe. Can you say amen? That's how He purchased them. And you've got to understand, you see that, you've got to see Israel just turning to other gods. And this is what God says, I've set the price, I'm going to send my Son, I'm going to send the Messiah. He's going to be the Lamb that will be slain, that will die, that will raise. And He is the Jewish Messiah. Believe in Him, you shall not die, you shall live and live forever. And they said, no, 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 we reject Him. God keeps sending Him, Israel keeps turning and forsaking the Lord. And so God sends Israel right into captivity to the Babylonians. And he said, that's what God was doing? Yes, the whole time. From Genesis to, to Revelation is the redemptive story of who? Of Jesus Christ. Front to back, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Trying to God say, you see, I sent him, believe in him, be saved. And, no, we want the law. Give us the law. We will abide by it, all everything you said, Lord, and do as you. And they wouldn't. Then comes blessings and curses. It's like, no, grace, give me God's riches at Christ's expense and be saved. 
I'm hoping you're going to see this as we keep going because I want to show you that God's love overcomes. Even though he sends them off into captivity and then he frees them, he lures them, speaks kindly to them, he gathers them instead of scatters them, puts them in his land. And he does do that. And there is one day he's going to do it forever, but God's love overcomes. He shows he always has dominion over Israel even today. They're at his disposal. They're not where they are because they want to be. They're not where they are because the rest of the nations are hurting them there. They're there because God owns them. He's bought them. They're His at His disposal. He has dominion over them. But they are not His. It doesn't look like it, does it? He buys, he buys them back. He buys Israel back. He buys her back. He buys her back just as Boaz, the Redeemer, bought Ruth. Look at Ruth, chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Go to Ruth. It's right after Judges. Then you got Ruth coming on the scene here. You're like, what a funny story, right? You don't understand the full kinsman redeemer, the redemptiveness of God using Jesus Christ, half Jew, half Gentile, to redeem Israel and Gentiles. If you don't understand Ruth, but look at Ruth just quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. We already preached that. But Ruth 4, verse 9 through 10, it says that Boaz says to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I've, what, acquired. There's that word again, acquired. I purchased for myself. I acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife. Why did you do that, Boaz? I did it in order to raise up the name of the deceased. Elimelech's name was going to be blotted out and no longer remembered. Naomi had no other kinsman redeemer. Boaz steps in. I'm closest of kin. I can redeem you. I buy all your land. I buy Ruth from you. In order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, Elimelech's name continues. It doesn't fade away anymore so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. What a happy ending. Amen? Naomi, don't call me what is her name? Don't call me Mara. No, no, now call me Mara. Call me bitter. She's no longer pleasant. Naomi meant pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now call me bitter. She lost it all. She lost it all. She was humiliated. She was abandoned. I've got nothing. I'm without God and without hope. Who will deliver me? You see those feelings she had? They were real. And she had nowhere to turn. But God comes. God comes and God delivers. She was humbled. She was having a moment. And it was lasting for quite some time. But Ruth went with her into the land where Boaz had said, find a kinsman redeemer. There he is, Boaz, the picture of Jesus. And you can go read it and understand that. But there it is. He will redeem her. And he did. And it was such a happy story. 
Because I think that might have been the second Gentile woman in the line of Jesus. Right? Ruth and Boaz come together and they have the baby. What's his name? Can anyone help me? Obed. And Obed has a baby and what's his name? Jesse. And what's significant about Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. King David. And King David is the father of who? Jesus. David, Mary, and Joseph both come from the line of David. So remember, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was in the womb by immaculate conception. She had to come from David. So Jesus would come from David, who came from Jesse, who came from Obed, who came from Ruth, who's a Gentile. It's so important for us to see how we're redeemed. There's a partial hardening that's happened to Israel so that the Gentiles can be saved. We're saved today because there's a partial hardening on the Jews. Let me tell you, if you go watch the patterns of evidence for Exodus, there are rabbis who are the most popular rabbis in the world or in America, and they're on TV, they're on the news, and they're saying, we deny the Exodus ever happening. They're denying Moses. And Jesus speaks of Moses. It's important for us to see that. There's this partial hardening. They have to willingly be ignorant and reject the truth of the Bible. And you can find it in Hosea and in Ruth and back in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. I mean, it's everywhere. In Romans and Acts, we're looking at it all here. I'm, 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 I'm falling apart here. Where was I? I'm getting too excited. I said there was a happy ending. There was a happy ending. Quick. There was a moment, Naomi. It wasn't as quick for her as we, for us it was. I mean, we, we read it. It was four chapters and it was quick. Naomi is much longer. But it was a happy ending. The reason why I say that is because there's not a quick, happy ending for the Israelites. Their moment will last a bit longer. But I'm telling you, God promises, God promises to buy back Israel, to buy back Israel. But as we've seen, we've been seeing week after week, over and over, in Hosea, as a nation, they're happily ever after. That is promised to them. It's not today. It's not today. We've seen that it is in that day. We see over and over, in that day. In that day, God will betroth her to him forever. In that day. Or as in Hosea 3, 5 says it, Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Their moment of humility or humiliating training and discipline, it goes until the last day when God redeems or acquires, He purchases the remnant of Israel according to His covenant with Abraham. Israel will be, look at the verse 3 and 4, it says, Israel will be for many days not playing the harlot, without a husband, 
without a king or priest, or uh, yeah, without a king or prince, without their religious activities. There'll be no sacrifice for sin. There's no temple for the sacrifice of sin. There's no ephod, no priest to bring the sacrifice, no priest to give them the, the forgiveness they need and slaughter a lamb or household idols. But afterwards, afterwards, after this moment, I'm ready for the peaceful fruit of righteousness, are you not? He said, afterwards, the sons of Israel will return. After this moment, even, even if we look at their very present condition to those who've not converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is where it is. They have ever since remained in that same state right here of verses 3 and 4. Into that same condition where the two tribes were brought, this Israel, after that, by killing the son, they killed the son. They filled up the measure of their father's sins. And the second temple, which his presence had hallowed, was destroyed by the Romans. In that condition, they have ever since remained free from idolatry and in a state of waiting for God, yet looking in vain for a Messiah, since they had not and would not receive him, Jesus, who came unto them, praying to God, yet without sacrifice for sin, not owned by God, yet kept distinct and apart by His providence for a future yet not to be, yet to be revealed. No one of their own nation has been able to gather them together or to become the king, their king. Even Julian the apostate attempted in vain to rebuild their temple. God interposed by miracles to hinder the effort which challenged His omnipotence. David's temporal kingdom has perished and his line is lost because Shiloh, the peacemaker, is come. The typical priesthood ceased in presence of the true priest after the order of Melchizedek. The line of Aaron is forgotten, unknown, and cannot be recovered. Sacrifice, the center of their religion, has ceased and become unlawful. Still, their characteristic has been to wait their prayer as to the Christ has been, may He soon be revealed. 18 centuries have flowed by. Their eyes have failed with looking for God's promise whence it is not to be found. Nothing has changed this character in the mass of the people. Oppressed, released, favored, despised, or aggrandized in east or west, Hating Christians, loving to blaspheme Christ, forced as they would remain Jews to explain away the prophecies which speak of him. Deprived of the sacrifices which to their forefathers spoke of him and his atonement. I mean, are you hearing this? I should have given you everyone a copy of this. It's a lot, right? Nothing's changed their character as a mass of a people. Even though they have the word, they look at it and it says they deny it. They explain away all these prophecies that speak of Jesus Christ. They hate Christians. They blaspheme Christ because they want to stay. We're Jews. 
Still, as a mass, they blindly wait for him. The true knowledge of whom his office is, his priesthood, and his kingdom, they've laid aside, and God has been towards them. God has preserved them from mingling with idolater or Mohammedans. Oppression has not extinguished them. Favor has not bribed them. He has kept them from abandoning their mingled worship or their mangled worship or the scripture which they understand not. God's keeping them right there. He's preserving them so they won't abandon this mangled worship that they have. They won't, they won't abandon the scripture that they don't understand and whose true meaning they believe not. They have fed on the raisin husk of a barren ritual and unspiritual legalism. Since the Holy Spirit, they've grieved away. Yet they exist still. A monument to us of God's abiding wrath on sin. As Lot's wife was to them encrusted, stiff, lifeless, only that we know, and this is it right here, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. That's a quote from E.B. Posey, P-U-S-E-Y. I pray you understand a little bit of that. As a nation... They hold to all their traditions of what God gave them. And that's where they're at. Verse 3, they, many days they're spending not playing the harlot, but holding to God's covenant, old covenant religion. They're hanging on to it. And they do not have a husband. As if God doesn't own them right now, but they're mi- remaining that way for many days. Even today, they don't have a king. They don't have a prince. They, don't, they can't make sacrifices for sins because Christ come and made the final sacrifice. But they don't believe that. They reject it and they, they explain it away. They have no sacred pillar. They're without ephod. They don't have priests to come. You guys remember where the ephod is? The priest would put it on before he go into the temple. In the Ark of the Covenant, he had the two stones on his shoulders because he was carrying the people of Israel. Had the uh, names of the tribes on, on the two stones. They had a priest that would go before them and make prayers and supplications for them. That's, they're like, we don't have that anymore. But it's, you see, God's keeping them from turning to Jesus. As a, as, a, as a mass of people. You, Pastor, you're saying God's, God's doing that? Yeah, but I'm not saying it. God says it in Romans, I believe, 9. Is it? Help me out here. Romans 9 or 11. I'll read it really quickly. That whole quote is summed up really in this Eleven twenty-five. Romans eleven twenty-five. He said, "I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so you don't be wise in your own ex- estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until 
the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel, after that point, that time, all Israel will be saved. God will go again and love a woman. He will go again and love a nation, Israel. His bride, he will go again and love her who is loved by him yet an adulteress. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, they are full of idolatry and full of self-indulgences, but he buys her back for himself. He purchases her, he purchases her back in front of all the nations as they witness this for the sake of his name. He says, I have acquired Israel. She's my bride. You go back to Boaz. He's a picture of God acquiring Israel. Redeeming her back, he says, for the sake of my name, I have acquired Israel, the adulteress, to be my wife. I have bought her from the hand of Satan. With my own blood. With my own blood, I bought her from the hand of Satan. For what reason did you do this, God? Right? Remember we asked Boaz, what reason did you do this, Boaz? He says, so that the name of the deceased would not be blotted out, right? God, for what reason do you do this? And he says, to raise up my name so all would know that I, I am the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel. I am Gael. I am the Redeemer. I purchased back, I, I set the price, I paid the price, it was my son's blood, and I bought her back to be my wife, she's mine, I will go again, I will love a woman who's an adulteress, but I'll buy her back the remnant, and I will redeem her, I am the redeemer of Israel, for the sake of my name, I will purchase her, I will redeem her. And Israel will come unto Zion singing. Hosea 3.5. Look at Hosea 3.5. says, afterwards. Afterwards. After God turns and saves His remnant according to His gracious choice, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to His goodness in the last days. Oh, the goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance, amen? But the goodness here for Israel is brown bread. It's brown bread. It's the moment. It's that moment, right? Like this moment, this affliction's on them. The, God's hands against them. They're feeling the severity of the, the severity of God on them. And God's like, I'm buying you back. Let's say brown bread, I said brown bread. Why brown bread? Because that's what they were getting all this time. They're getting brown bread. They're getting mean food. What does mean food do to you? 
It humiliates you. It humbles you. But God's desire, remember, is not to lead you to despair. His brown bread was to humble you so you turn to the gospel. So you turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good fare. I'll take it. Brown bread and the gospel, that's good fare. I'll take it. If that's what leads me, if His kindness leads me to repentance and I get the gospel, bring the moments. Bring the moments of affliction. For they will humble me. And God opposes the proud, but he draws near to the humble. So if God's given you a little bit of brown bread today, take it. (laughs) Remember I said, joyful, joyful, we adore you. Give me a brown bag and some brown bread. And then when that turns you to humility and you humbly come before the Lord and seek him, what happens then? That's his goodness that leads you to repentance. Would you still think God was good if he didn't lead you to repentance? If you got everything you wanted and desired, money, wealth, and prosperity, and posterity, and everything you can imagine on earth, if you got it all, would you still think God was good if he didn't lead you to repentance? God humbles us. I don't know a person on the planet that didn't have to be humbled by the glory of God and see himself as unworthy in this wretch and say, Amazing grace has saved a wretch like me. Brown bread led me to repentance that gives me the feast of God's grace. Amen? They will seek His goodness. You see the fear, fear of God. And you hear that all the way through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the new covenants. God says, I'll put the fear of me in their hearts. They'll never turn away from me again. God's not putting fear that they'll run away from him. God's putting fear in them, reverence and all, that they'll flee to him for help. So after God opens the eyes of the blind, they come seeking him and David, their king. Let's just read real quick. Jeremiah uh, 30, verse 18 through 22. Jeremiah Jeremiah 30, verse 18 through 22. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, or Israel, and have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city will be rebuilt on its ruin, and the palace will stand on its rightful place. From them will proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who celebrate, and I will multiply them, and they will not be diminished. I will also honor them, and they will not be insignificant. Their children also will be as formerly, and their congregations shall be established before me. And I will punish all their oppressors. Their leader shall be one of them. Their leader shall be one of them. Will rise up. None has risen. One will rise up. Their leader shall be one of them, and their ruler shall come forth from their midst. And I will bring him near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, I believe that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one, he's the high priest who can approach God without fear and go to him. But I cannot say without absolute certainty that King David is not raised up to be their prince. I can't say with absolute certainty that God's not going to raise up David 
the king, to rule over his people during this thousand-year reign. I think it's crazy that God might just do it because God loves to blow our minds because he's God who cannot be contained or comprehended. He might truly have David to be their prince for this time, of course, with Christ being the true king reigning. But David might be there. I don't know. That would be cool, right? (laughs) Either way, right? Israel will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. The thing is, when David's name is mentioned, it's always foreshadowing Christ, or his name means the seed of David, which is always picturing Christ. But there's text in there that says, man, maybe David will get to reign too alongside of Christ. I don't know. But they're going to come trembling again. They're going to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They're going to have wisdom, apply this knowledge, and they're going to come worshiping the Lord. One more text. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 4. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. It will come about that, now it will come about that in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears and to pruning hooks, nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. It goes with Hosea. God in the last days, just removing war, removing sword, bringing, gathering them into their land. I've read this before. Let's read it again. Jeremiah 31. I said one more. This is the one more. Jeremiah 31, verse 9. Jeremiah 31, 9. With weeping, they will come. And by supplication, I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Am I reading the right one? 31, 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Declare it in the coastlands afar off. And say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. And their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. The virgin will rejoice in the dance, the young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. That's what's going to happen. That's what God's going to do with Israel and so much more. But how does this help you today? If, you, if you're feeling the, the severity of the Lord, the hand on, of the Lord against you, or feeling abandoned or unloved, hopeless, alone, like I said, it is for a moment. If you're His, it's for a moment. 
The Lord is Redeemer. The greatest humiliation that you could ever go through is for the purpose of your deliverance, not for your despair. You see it in Israel. The greatest humiliation that you could ever go through is for the purpose of your deliverance, not your despair. I'm, I'm saying it will not our God and Father who loved us and did not spare his own son deliver us and rescue us in the last day. If God has humbled us, it's not for despair, but it is for deliverance. His goodness leads us to repentance. Let us return to the Lord and seek him and come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness. If discipline in the gospel is what we're to eat, I say it again. Brown bread and the gospel are a good fare for a wretch like me. May whatever you're going through today or whatever you might go through be brown bread that humbles you to seek and return to the Lord and find his goodness. Whatever you're going through Wherever you are, there's only one person that can know what you're feeling or suffering. His name is Jesus Christ. And he will walk with you every step of the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your goodness toward us. God, I pray you would show us and open our eyes to this love that you have toward us and toward Israel. You never abandon, you never leave, you never fall out of love. Your love is unconditional and it's amazing. It's truly mind-boggling, God. So I pray you would make it that way in our hearts that we would, just now we can't outrun your love. We can't out your love. We can't lose your love, God. So help us, Lord, to turn to you, knowing that your hand is for us and not against us. Bless the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.